Magic and Mythos. A deep dive into the history of magic with, with two, two modern mages. Hey everyone. Hey. Thanks for joining us again here on Magic and Mythos. In, in this n- new and exciting experience. This new episode slash experience. Yes. I, li- I like that. I like the word I experience. I feel like, yeah, it, it gives a little more explanation experience I'm yes. just thinking of e-words yeah. honestly <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah and it works yeah so I, we're hope we hope that you know you are all doing good I know it's a little crazy out there yeah we're still in the middle of this whole thing we are who'd have thunk all the way in October yeah we'd be living in, in our homes Still, wearing the whole time, (laughs) wearing masks, wearing masks all the time, and we do. We believe in masks. Wear masks. Wear Wear your mask, people. (laughs) Also, also you want if you want. Yeah. So it's been quite quite a time. Yeah. And it's been interesting. I don't know how much you're leaning on, you know, your your practice, your magical connection. Lately, I've been honestly finding it a little difficult to connect to my power recently i think in the last few months it's been just difficult for me to want to spend that much time with myself because it's forced and it's not as it doesn't feel as special as it used to to sit down and do a ritual or do a spread and yeah and kind of spend time at my altar i personally lean towards depression and things like that so this whole season of not knowing what to do or you know there's been some job insecurity for a while and yeah it's just been really odd well i mean i think that's a a good thing that you brought that up because it, it is you know it's something that we're all going through we're all kind of dealing with this tough time and it can be difficult at times to want to connect and be alone and take that time for yourself and actually be alone in your own head. Yeah. And that's a lot of magic and ritual and ceremony. At least, you know, I know it is for us. Right. So it's kind of important to just to be comfortable to talk about that. Right. Yeah, it's been interesting because I, I guess I, I think it's, I've had, a, I think, a surprising amount of time to myself. I live in a small house with my boyfriend mm, yeah. and our giant dog and our little <laughs> cat. And it just, I never feel like I haven't any Enough time energy. or space for myself and having yeah. to move my workspace home to work from home. And then having this whole sewing area, I don't really have an altar at the moment, which feels really ungrounding because I don't have space for it in our little place. But we closed on a house this week. Ah, congratulations. I know. I'm so excited for you. It's a first time for me. Thank Ah. you. I'm very excited. I'm still kind of just like, there are first days where anything can go wrong. First time. No, I know. It's going to be intense, but don't worry. Everything will work out. And I'm so excited for you. Fingers crossed. Thank you. Yeah. So that has been an exciting change and the knowledge that I'm I'm kind of looking forward to when we get in the house. I know I'm going to have my own office space for the first time where I can nice. just witch it up like yes, crazy. I love that witch it up. Witch it up. I'm like trying to decide what dark ass color of black I want to paint the walls. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> 
but <laughs> already yeah. already the you're already figuring the color scheme black and black on black yeah, no, black on black on black and i am so excited for the extra storage so that my witch bag is not relegated to some deep dark corner of the closet yeah uh, or a drawer somewhere i'm pumped that's uh, where my brain's been at lately that's fantastic i mean <laughs> It, that that's such an exciting new venture for you yeah. and that's that's just going to be amazing and it's interesting because you talk about like the whole idea of having this altar and like not having it in like a deep dark corner and a, or a deep dark crevice but you know it, it really is like what feels comfortable to you and for each person that's different right you know, i've had this question come up like where can i put the altar or where should i put the altar like does it have to be up and foremost and right in the front or and you know take up this huge amount of space, space yeah. or can it be somewhere that's a little bit more hidden for my own personal use and I can bring it out when I want to so that's just a, that just kind of came up in my head when you were talking about that so it's just like and I know someone who has it in a drawer in yeah. their bedroom in their nightstand is because, because they have kids yeah. or something <laughs> Because they have kids and dogs. And yeah. I was like, man, that's actually a concern of mine with my dog because she definitely chews things up, especially Everything. now when we leave. She's like, oh my God, you're home all the time. Where are you? You're gone forever. And she <laughs> I'm going to chew this up. I miss every you. Every pair of sunglasses I have is gone, that kind of thing. So yeah. it does make me nervous about what, what, well, I don't want her to chew anything up. Oh, and I also yeah. don't want her to get hurt chewing up something that might not be good for her to chew. For sure. Well, just high up, high up. Exactly. <laughs> That's the rule of thought, right? I need that ceiling altar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A ceiling altar, right? Hanging ceiling altar. Yep. Um, but you you asked me, so you you were asking me about kind of how I have felt recently about my ritual and ceremonies mm-hmm. and things. And so I have been putting the time and effort and I feel like at this point I know we talked about this in our previous episode about how it kind of ebbs and flows sometimes and sometimes life life gets in the way and 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 you just I don't know easily get too busy or whatever and so I feel like during this time I have been really strong about taking and making or having intention to set time aside and put effort into it but I do still feel like I have been a little bit hard hard to access my power yeah so i feel like i don't know if it's if it's just this kind of time and space in in the world right now Mm -hmm. but i do feel like as much as i'm creating the intention to do my rituals and ceremonies it has been a little hard to just access that kind of raw energy and raw power but that doesn't mean it's stopping me from doing what i need to do right so you know that recently I heard about the the passing of someone I I was very very close with right and he was a father figure to me he was a more of a father than my actual father mm-hmm. and treated me like his daughter and this was my uncle so through marriage so my mom's sister's husband and you know that whole idea of like life gets too busy and you just kind of don't take the time to appreciate the people in your life. And I feel like this has been like a hard learned lesson for me because it had been a few years since I talked to him and I did find out, find out recently that he had passed just a couple of days ago. So that was very difficult. And that was definitely something where I was like, okay, this is where I need my magic. This is where I need my ritual to help process this situation. Yeah. 
And I have to say, you joined me on this ceremony and I thank you because I've also talked about how we're very, like very solitary usually in my practice. We've talked about that. Yeah, this was one of my first shared ritual experiences, I think. Yeah, one one of my few and I... I appreciate it. And I felt the power and I felt more of the energy and I felt more grounded having you there. So I was trying to imagine a link between us and I was like pushing empathetic feelings towards you and compassion. And I felt it. I felt it. And I I thank you because I I do feel like I was so much more grounded um, and present. And because I feel like lately, especially, it's been so easy to be distracted. Yeah. And unfocused. I've had such an issue with being able to focus lately. And that's, you know, to me... 80%, 90% 80%, 90% of, of witchcraft and magical practice is yeah. intensity it, and focus. Yeah, <laughs> intention, intention, focus, focus yeah. yeah, all of it, yeah. And I think just a little note and kind of like a, a kind of a good lead way or pathway into that is we want to end every episode with sharing, whether it be a tarot reading or a ceremony or a ritual with all of you today i will be sharing the ritual that we did together as a way to honor my uncle so we'll be sharing that with you um, in case you have someone that you are close with that happens to pass and you'd like to do this in their in their honor as well so yeah yeah. and it stands for all time yeah Um, I'm going to do something like this for my grandmother who passed last year. Yeah. I just never, I did a little bit of ritual here and there, but I think I haven't been quite ready to do a larger honoring of her until recently. I love that you brought that up because I get that. It doesn't always happen when the person passes and I don't think you should be bound to any sort of time limit Mm -hmm. or length after a person has passes. My dad passed in 2007 and I didn't ever get to really honor him in that way doing what I did tonight I was looking at these old pictures old family pictures and through that I saw pictures of my dad of course and and I was like oh I never really got to do this for him it's been years but it it, there's never a wrong time there's never a wrong moment it's when it feels right and when it happens naturally so yeah I love that it can it can be years down the line and then it comes up and you're like oh this is this is the right time I need to honor this person I, right. I'm ready to honor this person yeah or there's some message that comes to your brain that you really want to get to them that you want to share to share to them yeah so all of this is going to overlap with the topic that we've chosen yeah. to discuss today which we had chosen prior to all of this new information and this ritual but we're going to throw it back again to ancient times yeah and dig into one of amber and my most favorite eras in ancient egypt we're talking about the egyptian book of the dead yes very ooh, apropos ah, very ooh, <laughs> ah. <laughs> so another thing we've been talking about is the kind of point of this podcast and some of the reasons why we want to share this information and i i am very excited to kind of break my own shell open a little bit and share a lot of these solitary practices that I've been performing and taking part in and keeping to myself because not because I didn't want to coven. I just hadn't found just, one or just hasn't. It, it's it not, just hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. Yeah. And it doesn't maybe feel like the most important part of that practice to me yeah. yet or as of right now that could change. I do fully understand the value in having like-minded people 
and drawing on each other's power and having a support system in that way. It just hasn't happened for me. So I'm happy though, to be able to start talking and sharing and learning more from you, Amber, and then sharing things about myself and my practice. I I agree with that. I mean, that's pretty much the same reason why I wanted to do this. It's human connection, right? I think especially during this time where we are so distanced. And I mean, I think we all know this to a certain extent, but we're really seeing the importance of human connection. Right. And the need to connect with other humans on such a deeper level that we took for granted. Hugely. Hugely, but it's really coming face forward at this time. So yeah, it's pretty much the same kind of the same situation for me. I've always been a solitary practitioner and I'm just coming into a place where I'm so excited to learn with you, from you, Mm -hmm. share my experiences, grow together, and then also share this with all of you out there listening. Millions of you listening. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Millions Um, all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. And beyond. And beyond. (laughs) You know, the universe. And so just being able to share this piece with you guys and and dig into the historical oracle pieces pieces. and share something about ourselves at the same time and like learn with you all like to like we're we're gonna be learning as well with you all as we're doing this research and some of it we know and some of it we hold close to our hearts and somewhere you know we are very knowledgeable about and other pieces we have no clue and we're learning ourselves so that it'll, it'll be a shared experience for all of us absolutely Oh man, I'm so pumped. Okay, so we're going to start with the historical context of the Book of the Dead. Ah, yes. Awesome. So, mm, everybody take a deep breath. (laughs) Take a deep breath. (sighs) (sighs) All right, digging in. So this is really similar to ancient Mesopotamia that we talked about a couple episodes ago, where magic and religion are just heavily intertwined. Magic was at that time essential and just a no-brainer. A part of daily life. Part of daily life. It was an ordinary, everyday thing that I everybody that. practiced. And I still believe that's true, even if people don't want to admit it. But this is very done in a very ordinary, everyday. I'm cooking. I'm also brewing. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. The Book of the Dead itself is a collection of funerary texts that are placed in the burial chambers of deceased Egyptians. So when we say book, we're actually talking about a collection of texts, and that could have been on papyri, it could have been on pyramid burial chamber walls, uh, pottery on the canopic jars, et cetera, et cetera, on the coffins. Everywhere. Everywhere. So not necessarily a book. Yeah, not like a bound leather yeah it it would have been it would have consisted of a number of spells that are intended to assist a person's journey into the duat or the underworld and through afterlife and it was written by scribes and priests and used for a couple thousand years before the common era bce yeah which i had to google what bce (laughs) was and i'm a little bit embarrassed about that but that is why I'm glad I live in the era of Google. Yeah, no, I love that, right? <laughs> so yeah, I've, I know that before common era, but I feel like it, there's another one, right? It's like BC before Christ or before something. Christ. Yeah, and it's, it's I now interchangeable. I mean, don't yeah, tweet me. Don't I can't remember, me, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> interchangeable. It's interchangeable. Okay. So then, there were two previous quote texts, collection of texts before 
the official Book of the Dead in the way that we know it today. The first of which were the pyramid texts. And this is coming from when the pyramids were built, which was 2686 to 2181 BCE. So okay. this is and way before Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. 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 Um, Jesus. So I, I, <laughs> I'm guessing that, you know, obviously that was for the pharaohs because no one yeah, else absolutely you know. <laughs> so that was for all of the pharaohs and three queens yeah yet out yep. of all the queens only three of them had this on there get, it, girl, females, get, though. It, get it and so <laughs> boss lady the other thing that i think is crazy so this is when the pyramids were built this is 2686 then you think about how long it was between when the pyramids were built and the ptolemaic era yeah where where that's Ptolemy, Cleopatra, Antony, all these, you know. Very. That is. Then you start getting to the Roman Empire, the triumvirate. But the thing that's wild to me about that is the fact that 2500 BC is longer. That period of time is longer than us right now to Cleopatra. Yeah. Oh, So the fact that like, think about how ancient Egypt is to us. And then think about the fact that we clump in all together the pyramids and Cleopatra and all of this happening. And at that's the same not time. the case. Not the case at all. So yeah. this is wild. So pyramid text. Back to the point. Uh, <laughs> we're on the walls of burial chambers of pharaohs and the three queens in the old kingdom. So this is the twenty six hundred to twenty one hundred BC. And these were all written. These texts were written just on the walls of the burial chambers in hieroglyphs and only the text no images no illustrations no okay. things that we see later yeah this is just just text, text. just higher stone okay. carving you get it okay and so following that in the middle kingdom which is 2181 to 2055 bce coffin texts were introduced so this was as it sounds when the text started becoming written on coffins yeah and that's I would have never guessed that. Right? I know. I mean, they are called coffin texts, but so this was, yeah, they were written on the front, on the inside, on the sides, all covering the coffin and then also strewn throughout, starting to be spread throughout on pottery, on the canopic jars, things like that. And it was also starting, they were putting them on across the mummies. Okay. On the linen. Ah, uh, yes. Wrapping the, mummies the resin and soaked like linen. The yep. resin soaked linens. And <laughs> all of these things. So some things that set the coffin text apart are the placement, like I said. Okay. But also the fact that it be, it started to open up the opportunity for an afterlife for the, quote, common people. Yeah. So not it's not just the pharaohs and the queens. It's yeah. also the plebes. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> they would... It, it would only be available for those that could afford coffins and burial chambers. So it was still a little elitist. It was like the 1%. Yeah, it was yeah. still elitist. It was still super not... Super yeah. elitist. Yeah, but it wasn't just the pharaoh. It was the pharaoh and all his super rich buddies. Okay. Oh, good to know. Right. But that's like at least six more people in the afterlife, I guess. So, <laughs> so um, you're, that's good, right? It's just like totally full. The gods right. don't want that many people hanging right. out in, the, in their presence. <laughs> and so. so, yeah, so... These, the spells were new. They had put a larger focus on daily activities such as manual labor that would prepare the deceased person for an afterlife in the Duat, which is Osiris's realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yep. we'll get more into some of that later. And so up to this point, we get to the actual standardized Book of the Dead, which came about around 20... 
or t- not 20 G's. Yeah, 20, 2055 BCE. Oh, wow. And on. So there's still like a solid 500 years of it being used longer. 1,500 to 2,500? Yeah. I guess they used it for like 20... Yeah, they used it for a while. Math is hard. Yeah, math is hard. Look, it's... it was about 2,000 years okay. that they used it. And then it was um, at some point in the 25th and 26th dynasty until about 100 BCE, the Book of the Dead became standardized. And a thing that I want to bring up is, that, is the fact that there was no complete start to finish Book of the Dead canonical okay one two three four five yeah you have to have all 200 of these whatever there were just collections of spells in different forms and varieties throughout these burial chambers yeah that were discovered and there were so many options for different spells you could kind of pick and choose I mean, assuming you could pay for it yeah you, you could customize it you could customize it you could pick and choose they kind of had this like factory setting where it was, you know, like, like a foundational core exactly. of spells. And then you're like, oh, you know, I really want to drink beer in the afterlife. So, so I'm going to have that one exactly. or wine. Yeah, I'll take both. Yeah. Uh, so let's just say alcohol. Let's make it easy. Just alcohol. Exactly. And they, you know, there were over 100 spells at that time. At the beginning of the use of the Book of the Dead, we have now discovered 192. Yep. Is what's known right now. And... And so you could, yeah, like we said, pick and choose. You could yeah. say, this is what I think is going to happen. I feel pretty solid about my ability to fight alligators, but I'm not really comfortable with the idea of fighting hippos. So I'm going to need Them a hippos. extra help with the hippos. Oh, God. The world's most dangerous animal, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> cute, too. never seen like, Animal Planet. Isn't it crazy how, like, cute they are? Oh, my God. Yeah, how dangerous they are? I mean, I played Hungry Hungry Hippos like a monster when I was a kid, so. <laughs> they be hungry-ass hippos. They be hippos. hungry. They be hungry-ass <laughs> hippos. So... Yeah, so you might say, like, I'm going to have, I'm going to need a little extra help with that. Or, like, you know, I did a lot of bad stuff in my life, so I'm yeah. going to need some extra good lying spells in there. Oh, like, yeah. Things like that. So so this factory idea is, is the fact that the Book of the Dead was standardized at one point. So you could say, and I don't know how it worked. Here's what just popped into my brain. What if what if they said, here, I have, I don't know, $2,000. Okay. And okay, that's only gonna afford you thirty five spells. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like a construct so it's like a choose. construction pro- a project. What's your budget? Exactly. Uh, my budget's um two k. Ooh, okay. We're gonna we give you one we, pillar. Yeah, we can't give you the gold standard. Mm-hmm. I think that that affords you about like the silver standard of spells. Exactly. And, and you so, can like so. Did they have a choice where like if you could give this much money, you could only choose saying, these spells? Why would I not want to have them all? Exactly. Give so, them all. Give me the whole. And maybe it was regional, geographical. Maybe that, like, yeah. Existed in some. I don't know. Look, I'm not an expert. <laughs> You're surprise, not. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so, You're not an Egyptologist? Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I wish I was. I know. Um, Dream come true. Ugh, yeah. But anyway, okay, the books. They were produced by scribes, and those are the hieroglyph writers of the era. And these prefabricated books, factory style, running through, they ha- would have just a blank space for the name. So uh, it was basically, yeah. it was almost like a living will. Like you could... You could figure all of that out, what you wanted to have in your Book of the Dead before you pass, and then you pass, and they add your name to it so that it becomes your That's great. Book of just your so Dead. really easy, I guess. Right. You're so, just like, oh, <laughs> tap in that name. That's great. So I, I'll i take one. I'll take two, just in <laughs> case. Um, I need that much help. Right. So when they were discovered 
they started be, being discovered, these books of the dead, as early as the Middle Ages. Okay. But they were thought to be like religious texts similar to the Bible or the Quran. Oh, interesting. And the information w- wasn't translated and understood until halfway through the 1800s. There was a Prussian Egyptologist, Carl Richard Lepsius, who translated and coined the phrase Book of the Dead. My memory <laughs> could be doing wrong by me. But I mean, a big reason why we were able to translate the hieroglyphs was because of Napoleon and the Rosetta Stone, right? right? Isn't yeah. that correct? Yeah, it I was, thought so. Exactly. And it still just fascinates me. I mean, anybody who does any of that code breaking stuff and translation from piecing together right? other languages. And I think it was Greek that was there. Yeah. Hieroglyphs. The phonetic alphabet. Yeah, I, can't I remember. think it, yeah. Well, it this is a us. Stuff. Don't quote us on yeah, any of this. Yeah, don't quote me and don't at me. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so okay, later in the 18th century, E.A. Wallace Budge translated the Papyrus of Ani, one of the most famous ah, yes. books of the dead housed at the British Museum. And y'all, listen, if you are interested in ancient Egypt and you make it to London at some point, yes, Brid- you get your bootay to the Museum yes. of British History because holy moly it holy moly it's amazing i know it's it's just mm. a, you can't like if you have any interest in in egyptian history i mean this it's a must you will see some mind-blowing stuff i went when i was 15 i think yep. and it stuck with me forever i can't believe that i didn't become an egyptologist but i wanted to do theater so bad <laughs> so <laughs> okay hey you pick and you choose i guess you pick and you choose and you make a promise to your parents that you'll also <laughs> double major in marketing so you can fall back on something <laughs> that makes money and i did <laughs> At this point, like I said, 192 spells are known. And the text, so this is really important. The text and images were magical and religious. And magic was just as legitimate as praying. The concept of magic itself was just so intimately linked with the spoken and the written word. And the act of speaking a ritual formula was an act of creation, which is so wild to me. But when you think about it, it is like at least in our practice the same, right? I mean, totally. The words you use during a ritual or ceremony are so important because they thought of of And it's so much about intention and the funneling of energy. And so, but it makes me think of, you know, where does that exist today? It makes me think of plays, like I just mentioned theater. Yeah, and there's in so art. much power in art and spoken yes. word. Yeah, you think of poetry and you think yeah. of these incredible Music. speech writers. And yep. like I think about listening to Obama speak or yeah. listening to Martin Luther King speak and these just words that brilliant orators. Words that carry so much energy and amplify your emotions, those amazing speeches that in the, within a couple sentences can make you cry, can make you laugh, can make you feel joy, can make you upset. Right. It's yeah. So the power powerful. of words. Mm. So I think that's pretty fascinating that that was so known about the ancient Egyptian ritual speaking. So these, so hieroglyphs themselves, I know were invented by the god Thoth and the hieroglyphs hieroglyphs themselves were so powerful and i think you and i talked about this at some point amber but the idea of uh each of those pictorial symbolic hieroglyphs meaning something so powerfully themselves and then placed next to something else they become a completely different different, idea yeah and context right yeah and it makes me think of chinese kanji like mandarin and japanese and these these languages where the the writing is so illustrative it's really fascinating arabic urdu arabic yeah all these so yeah that came into my brain and (laughs) (laughs) 
So even the written words themselves conveyed the full force of a spell. Mm. Wow. Which is wild. So mm-hmm. those scribes were just ch- ch- channeling? No, that's not a word. Channeling. <laughs> you, it's a, you did the thing that I did. Probably you thought, yeah, you thought of two words I'm and you combined them. Channeling. That's a new power. word. We're, we're going to copyright that. Yep. Channeling. TM, TM. <laughs> and Egyptians um, believed that, 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 giving, that knowing the name of something gave power over it. And the Book of the Dead, therefore, would equip its owner with mystical names of many of the entities he'd encounter in the afterlife, giving him power over them. Ah, yes. And, him, and you I know, that's anyone. actually, yeah, that's actually kind of like similar to Islam. Yeah, having... And even in Christianity, absolutely. you can't say the names of, of some demons. Yeah, because, because you're giving them power. power. Yeah. Mm-mm. 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 I don't want to. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Demons <laughs> are the only thing that really scare me. I'm going to say that out loud. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, okay. Uh, what we okay. Good energy. So good energy. Is, I know. <laughs> now I'm scared. Uh, this is a uh, quote from Foy Scalf, who is the exhibit curator at this really incredible exhibit at the Oriental Institute. He says, "What we discover is that the Book of the Dead is actually about eternal life, not death." The content in these spells covers many facets of the Egyptian spirituality, the existence of the soul, what awaits us in the afterlife, how will we be judged the nature of God, and the continued relationship with friends and family on earth. That's beautiful. Whew. That's, I felt that. Me too. That was the power of words. Yeah, power of like words. spell, speaking it out loud. Yeah. Okay, Amber, it's your turn. What was actually in <laughs> the Book of the Dead? Actually, before... That's be- what I want to know. Before I go on to that little topic, can I say our producer, Eva, looks like she's ready to be mummified over Oh, my she's God. Just, she has been she, interred. She is just good. She's relaxing. She is making sure we we are doing our work and our jobs, but she is just chilling on the floor over there. We'll be providing photographic proof of the hard work that she's doing <laughs> on our Instagram. It's yes, at Magic Mythos Podcast. <laughs> So as Katie takes some uh, some beauty shots of Eva over there, uh, hard at work, I should say. Yeah. So like you mentioned, the Book of the Dead is a series of transcripts. And a lot of the information that we get on these funerary texts come from, like you said, the, the Papyrus of Ani. Mm-hmm. 78 feet. 78 feet, mind you. 78 feet. That's, that is so long. That's a very long one. That's a very long one. And it's, it is beautifully preserved, which is why it's such a such an important piece, because it gave so much understanding to these funerary texts, this, to this Book of the Dead. And it, like, it, it resides in the British Museum and has since 1888, wow. when it was discovered in Luxor. That's 100 years before I was born. <laughs> yeah. Hundred, oh my god that's 99 years before i was born i had to You're think about that I, know. I had to think about that for a second <laughs> i was like what is maths yeah so it was discovered in luxor as i mentioned and ani was a scribe who was in thebes who lived in thebes in the 13th century bce and he had his own book of the dead created to help him maintain uh, main, or i'm sorry attain immortality or maintain immortality. We don't know. Maintain immortality. Yeah. <laughs> attain, attain and maintain immortality. Yeah. And so I love that quote that you brought up. And it just connects back to that. This beautiful idea that the soul never ceases to exist. Right. And that is beautiful. You had these texts and these spells because you needed to be able to attain immortality by going through the duat, through the underworld. Right. And you would need to know not only where to go, 
but how to address certain gods, what to say during certain times, and how to conduct yourself overall. Right. And it was, I think, known as a series of events that would happen that you would come up against, like, the movie Labyrinth. Yeah, right? exactly. No. Ex- that just struck me. I was like, <laughs> That's so true. Because you know there's going to be, like, the, the bog there. And the- yeah. Meeting the gremlins here and the, yeah. It was very thought out. The Egyptians had thought this out very carefully and they had. I don't know who told them though. You know, I wonder who came up with that because it was very, very specific. It was like, you would do this, you would go through this, you would deal with these kinds of monsters or gods and then this is, (laughs) or both. And this was a process. And so that's what I'm going to go into. But basically, Ani's epic journey begins with the with his death. Right. And so at after he died, he his body or anyone whoever once they died, their body would be mummified by a team of priests. And these priests would remove every organ except the heart. Yes. And that's where you get the canopic jars because yeah. they would put these organs in the canopic jars. Oh, the only one I remember off the top of my head is Hopi. Yeah. Oh, you're that. That's a good one to remember. Was it a, <laughs> wasn't it a, an ape or orangutan or something? Oh, ooh, you now got, I know. Ooh. Now I need to get quizzed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, cut this out. Eva, Eva, cut <laughs> this part out. <laughs> Produce this out, please. We gotta Google this. So yeah, so you would you would have all these organ the organs removed except the heart and the heart they would leave the heart because. Egyptians believed it was the seat of emotion, memory, and intelligence. And they I don't know if this is confirmed, but there were spells that were aimed at specifically preserving the body. And so it is thought that these spells were recited during the mummification process by the priests who were doing it. Mm. After all the organs were removed, the body would be stuffed with a salt called natron and then wrapped in a resin-soaked linen. And these wrappings themselves would be woven with charms of protection and topped with a heart scarab amulet. I'll get back to that later in I'm the so journey. I'm so curious. I know there's a long story, but I... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll get back to that little one because I, this... I just Googled it as well and it's Hoppy and he's a baboon. So a baboon. I was close. You were, you were, no, was you were close. very close. Okay. You, were, you, you know, we'll say 90%. That was... Close. Close. It was close. <laughs> I'm going to give you an A minus, B plus. Well, that. hey, you know what? That's better <laughs> That's than my that. great average in high school. So cool. <laughs> You're like, ah, okay. <laughs> so like I said, I'll get to the heart scarab amulet later because this is actually quite, it's quite a cool little piece, important little piece that comes on his journey later in this, and a person's journey later throughout the duat. So the whole mummification process took about two months and Again, the goal was to preserve the body as the ideal form with which the spirit could eventually reunite. Mm -hmm. And that's how the person would attain immortality. Mm. Now, in the Book of the Dead, there were all types of spells, including spells, and you wouldn't think this, but including spells for simple things like speaking, drinking, Mm. drinking alcohol. Got to. Yep. Eating and even relieving yourself. Excuse me? Yeah. So 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relieving Soul, yourself. Souls be pooping. Souls be pooping. Okay. Well, the, I, it's quite interesting, right? The way they, they saw never have that in movies or no. books or anything. But they were like, "Listen, I'm not going to be plugged up for the rest of my life." It, but that was the idea. My unnatural life. You know what? A, a, a human needs to in in normal life. A human needs to eat. Imagine speak. you forget that one and you didn't put that in your book, Ooh. and everybody around you is like, mm, "I got to take care of this. I'll be Ooh. back." And you're like, "I can't." I don't yep. know this, but no, that, right? Ooh. That, okay, well, I, you so, just told me. Yep. So there's that. And actually, I have a little snippet of one of the spells because it, the one very important thing was being able to speak because there were going to be a lot of pieces of your journey in the duat that you would have to speak. Yep. So a little snippet. And this is the spell for opening of the mouth in the afterlife. My mouth is released by Ptah. The bounds of my mouth are caused to be unfettered by the God of my city. Thought comes from fully equipped with his words of power and has released for me the items belonging to Seth, the bonds of my mouth. My hands are moved by Atum. He puts them forward as the guard of my mouth. My mouth is opened. My mouth is parted by Ptah with that tool of iron. With which he has opened the mouth of the gods. I am Sekhmet Wajit. I sit beside the great starboard in the sky. I am Sa'it amid the powers of Inu. As for any words of power, any speech uttered against me, may the gods stand against them, the assembled Ennead and its Enneads. Wow. Yeah. They're like, I gotta talk. Yeah. And ain't nobody going to stop he me. He will crowbar my mouth open today. <laughs> Thank you. Ain't yeah. nobody going to stop takes, me. Whatever it takes. That's right. Beautiful. I just, I, I love that. I love the thought. Like, I mean, you know, obviously things are lost in translation, mm-hmm. but we get it. You yeah. got a crowbar. Yeah, you got a crowbar. You got a crowbar at those things. Pry it open. <laughs> exactly. So after the whole mummification process, the idea was that, as I mentioned, the spirit must pass through the duat, which is the underworld. And the duat was known as a realm of vast caverns, lakes of fire, and magical gates all guarded by fearsome beasts. I mean, snakes, crocodiles, half-human beasts, what have you. Yeah, all the above. All the above. And if you didn't think that was bad enough... You have a pep, the serpent god of destruction, lurking in the shadows, waiting to swallow the person's soul. Oh, my God. Can yeah. you imagine that? Where you're like, I hear a wrestling. <gasps> you're like, oh, God. I don't see him. I, <gasps> I hear it again. Yeah. But again, the, the Book of the Dead is going to help you with that. Look, I grew up in Georgia, and I'm not about a snake life, okay? <laughs> you're like, no, thank you. I'm just you. not about it. You're, you ain't having none I'll of that. Pep, stay back. <laughs> All pep. right. Don't do it. Mm-mm. I see you. So yeah. So if that, yeah, you you had all these beasts and you had a pet lurking in the shadows. Mm. Now, fortunately for people who could afford the book of the dead, this journey was navigable, but not everyone could do that. So again, the whole kind of go back to the latest piece. Slurp. Slurp. <laughs> Dang. So that's a bummer. Yeah, it sucks. But if you did have that money, then you could customize your scroll to include particular spells and prayers, like you mentioned, and codes that a person thought they might need. We talked about this earlier. Yeah. You know, I really want to drink alcohol in the afterlife. Oh, I really want to be able to dance. I don't know. I'm throwing at that. I, I don't know if Egyptians That's in dance. in your book. <laughs> like, sure, I exactly. Sure I was like, that. I want to dance. I want to be able to do some yoga. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, they did have them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they might have. Them, yeah, <laughs> maybe that they are their own version of yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that so you could customize it, and so with with this book of the dead. A person could overcome the obstacles, the monster attacks, and avoid a pep to reach the Hall of Ma'at. The Hall of Ma'at was the Ma'at was the goddess of truth, balance, order, law, morality, and justice. Mm. So she's like the high priestess. Exactly. Beautifully Boom. said. Boom. Bring it back to tarot every Boom. time. Boom. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> a boom. <laughs> and you think you're like, okay, person's reached Hall of Ma'at. We're good. No. We're not good yet. Mm. We're not done. <laughs> so once the person reached the Hall of Mott, they would face, I guess, almost, their, I would say not their final challenge. They're almost their final challenge. Mm. And that is where they would be judged by 42 assessor gods. That, yep, yep, that he must convince each and every one of those gods that he has lived a righteous life. Oh, that's not going to work for me. Oh, well... You know, I mentioned that. Yeah, test me, test me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how I mentioned that little amulet, that scarab amulet? That's where this comes into play. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's basically a cheat, but he's in the, you know, you're in the Hall of Mott. You have these 42 assessor gods, which, mind you, you have to approach each god and address them by name and declare a sin you have not committed. So negative confession, I guess. Quote, unquote, negative confession. Okay, anti the anti-confession. Anti-confession. The psh- no, I didn't. No, I didn't do that. Okay. And so here are some of the actual, I'm not going to read 42, all 42 of them. Oh, but God. here is just a snippet of some of the sins that I or you here would. Here we go. I'm ready for judgment. Exactly. I have not stolen. Uh-oh. I have not purloined offerings. Oh, nuts. I have not uttered lies. Oh, gosh. I have not, this is a hard one, uttered curses. I'd be dead. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, oh, I'd be done. fuck. <laughs> yes. As you, uh, Oh, just did cursed. myself in. That was the first time I ever cursed. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, and I believe that. Too bad. Mm, I have not slandered no man. I slandered a lot of men. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I have not de botched the wife of any man i'd be debauching wives all the time so (laughs) you you debaucherous so yeah those are some of the negative sins okay so let's say that you're maybe like me and (laughs) a lot a lot of those i would be outright lying yeah yeah oh that's okay i have a solution for you fill me in yeah because i need to know and whatever it is i'll pay for it yeah i'll pay for it that and that's the idea right buying yourself into heaven love it so you know, no one has lived a perfect life and there's no way Ani or you or I would have actually not done any of those. Yep. And so that's where the heart scarab comes into play. On this scarab, there was an inscription and it says, do not stand as a witness against me. So basically this inscription and the scarab amulet is placed over the heart so your heart doesn't betray you by recalling the times you did exactly what you just said you had not no, done. No, I am literally getting one of those. I don't care what type of ceremony I have. I would I probably have 42 to cover all my bases and make sure I, there was no... The I'm quilted like hard scarab. I'm like, get them on there. Make sure. Cover it, cover it, cover it. Forget just the heart. I mean, I just want to be buried in hard scarab. <laughs> your whole 
covering. Exactly. What, no shroud. Yes. Oh just, my god. Just bury me in heart scarabs. I'm good with that's that. The name of my next album. Exactly. <laughs> bury me in heart scarabs. Oh my <laughs> like god. That. So emo. Yeah, that does sound so emo. Actually, I feel like th- there must be an emo CD or song out there that something that's, like that. Yeah, I believe it. Yep. So you know you're good to go. You have this hard scarab. It's not gonna betray you, and you're good. And so you give your negative confessions, and you're good to go. But we're still not done. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. After this is like the moment of truth. I know you can perfectly see this picture: the weighing of your heart against the pure ostrich feather. Oh yeah. By Anubis. Oh yeah. That's such a clear image. That was probably the, it's probably the image they put in textbooks. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely one of the things that sticks out most to me in my mind. If you were like, think of any, any hieroglyphic illustration. Yeah. That is literally the one that would pop up for me. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have the worst memory. Yeah, me too. But that is an image that I will never forget. That that is an image. You talk about Egypt. I'm like, that. that, Like, you connect it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was the moment of truth in the duat. Oof. That one makes my heart pound a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm a little, you're like, I'm, I'm sweating. Can we do this tomorrow? I'm not feeling too good. I think I got a little COVID cough. I know. <laughs> it's the black lung. <laughs> That's a great movie, right? Yep. Yeah. So if you, ha- you have Anubis there, which isn't scary enough, right? And, you know, for people who don't know Anubis, the jackal-headed god, he's he's looking at you, he's eyeing you down, he has his pure ostrich feather, and he's weighing your heart against it. And if your heart was heavier than the feather, that was weighed down by your wrongdoings, then it would be devoured by a mitt. A, who, a mitt, <laughs> if like a pep and the half-human beast and all those other monsters don't scare you, Amit is going to kind of freak you out. Amit was a demoness and a goddess who was also known as the devourer of the dead. Badass. Badass. I mean, personification of divine retribution. Mm. She had a body that was part lion, hippopotamus, and crocodile. Bah. Yeah. She's OP. Intense. And so, again, if your heart was overweighed by the burden of your sins, then Amit would devour you, and you would see to exist. Jeez, so she has the crocodile head, right? Crocodile head. I remember seeing that. Yep, exactly, devouring you. No problem Ooh, with those teeth. Pop her right in there. The, kind of like the mane of the, the lion and then the body of the hippo. Narf. Yep. So, well, yeah. Good so luck. not fun and definitely not attaining immortality. So that's, you know. A, Is a, there like a, like a Wingardium Leviosa <laughs> that you can like do on your heart? I'll put that spell in there. Put that spell in there. Yeah. So I mean, right? Here's the thought, right? So you connect it back to this amulet and you're saying, well, the amulet is going to protect me. And so, you know, I don't, I think it was more of like a, this is why you need to be prepared. Because if you don't, if you don't have this book of the dead and you don't have this amulet, then you're kind of screwed. But if you were judged to be pure of heart, then Ra, the sun god, would take you and fly you down or to Osiris, over, around or through to Osiris, who is the god of the underworld, fertility and rebirth and agriculture. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And Osiris would basically give you the final stamp of approval to enter the af- afterlife, um, which was known to the Egyptians as Aru, and also translated the fields of reeds or the fields of rushes. And their kind of imagination or their, their belief on Aru and the afterlife was really interesting to me. Because it wasn't like a heaven where you're lounging around sipping mimosas and you're chilling with the angels, doing nothing all day, every day. Story uh, of my life. Yeah, right? That, I that's, wish. I wish. But Aru was, was actually the idolized vision of one's life on earth. Everything Ani thought to have lost at death was returned to him. And there was no pain and there was no threat of death. And one basically was believed to live lived in the presence of gods. Mm. And here, everything that you did, everything that you loved doing on earth, and every soul that you had ever loved on earth would be returned to you. And wow. you'd be able to do that Oh yeah, again. it's like Gladiator. I'm yeah. telling you. Okay, yes. so here, okay. let me paint this okay. picture for the world. Please. I did see Gladiator, and I was alone in the theater with my mom when it came out, and it was so boring. I couldn't stand it. I was probably 11 or 12 when it came out. I need to rewatch it. I mean, I love, it. I love it now. Listen, I love it now. But it was the most long, boring movie. Oh, my God, I thought I was going to die. And then I rewatched it later, and there's a scene at the end where he, spoiler alert, somebody in the movie goes to the afterlife. And this is, of course, like Roman time, so not very long after ancient Egypt. Yeah. And he's in this, like, field of... I'm going to say lavender because that's in my brain, but it was probably rushes. I don't know. And he like meets up with his dead, his dead wife and child and they like live in a house and that's it. And he's in the afterlife and that's his beautiful end is being with his family. Yeah. Regaining. Yeah. Regaining everyone he ever loved and had lost. And so again, Aru was an idolized vision of one's life on earth. But as we see as on the papyrus of Ani, there was still work to be done. And so when you reached Aru, just as you had, like, say, gained a plot of land on Earth, you would gain a plot of land in Aru, and you would have to cultivate that land. Normally on Earth, you'd be, like, struggling and doing it yourself or the help of maybe a few family members, ones that weren't lazy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I love my family members so much. Reunite me with all of them, extended family. Exactly. help me work my farm. Exactly. Exactly. But you also had one other cheat, and it was called a Shanti doll. And Shanti dolls were basically placed in a person's tomb when they were mummified. And so these Shanti dolls would actually help cultivate your land. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, you wow. know, things were easier. So just like soulless workers. <laughs> a- yeah, that's weird. I never thought of it like that, but pretty much. So you could have time to drink those mimosas. Okay. You know? Okay, I'm not opposed. <laughs> I'm going to have to start carving now. Yeah. Dang. And of course, you know, we're, we're kind of focusing on the Book of the Dead, but I know that we'll have other episodes that go deeper into the mummification process and what that looked like and, you know, uh, what things were included in, in the burial process and the entombing process for Egyptians. So, you know, stay tuned. We'll have more about that. Right on. But to kind of go back to this, I mean, it's it's so interesting to me because it is this idea, and I think we kind of have, I mean, we do, we have this idea and we'd like to have this idea that people always live on through in our hearts and through our memories. Right. And so this is just another form of that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this idea, this beautiful idea that once a person leaves this earth, they still exist in this other plane of existence in the presence of gods. Right. And that to me is 
is beautiful. I mean, and, and when you think about it, I feel like that's the universal question, right? What is yeah. life what after happens? death? Yeah. And I don't think we can ever escape that because that is just something that is that's just, that is a part of the natural order, the natural world. We yeah. are born and we live and then we die. I am so flipping curious to know what happens. You, exactly. I'm very curious. I'm terrified and I don't want it to happen. I'm not ready to of, go. Of course. Because I love my dog and I love my cat oh. so much. And also yes. my boyfriend. But <laughs> you got to throw I, him in there for good measure. I'm excited about a lot of different yeah. things, but I am very curious. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it would be odd not to be curious for something that's so natural. And I think that throughout history and throughout world and and a lot of religion and has been trying to figure out the answer to this universal question. And so it makes you think this is just the Egyptians' way of maybe dealing with the concept of death and have it be less frightening and have it be less grief-driven and just more celebratory that, you know, there is no true de- death, that a person's soul lives on and continues that's beautiful and that is it's very beautiful i love the idea of considering it to be celebratory and and that's the thing it's it's interesting how thought out it was for them right we've we've done that a lot uh, try to find a explanation or concept of what life might look like right. after death and try to put some hierarchical structure on it or something to like order. It's like order organization. Well, that's funny that you bring that word up because isn't order what brings some sort of calm in the, some sort of peace. Death is in its sense chaos because you don't know what happens. Yeah. And so and honestly, order. it sounds like they got a lot of stuff to get through in the afterlife. So I wouldn't be particularly looking forward to that piece. That piece, yeah. I mean, you got a lot of Shanti dolls and things like that, and you got the Book Scare of the Dead, apart. and you're, yeah. So I guess you're, you know, if you if you got the money, you're prepared. Yeah, I'm gonna start saving up now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, you know, how cool would or it when be? When y'all put bury me in a pyramid? <laughs> exactly. Like, well, I was. It's so funny. I was recently talking to my husband about like, oh, what do I want to do? Like, well, how would I want my body taken care of when I pass? And I'm like, ooh, that's too bad they don't offer mummification. I know. <laughs> That'd it's be fascinating. Cool. That's kind of cool. I'm still up for the bury a tree on top of me. That's exactly what I was thinking. So many that, people would yeah. like to do that. I wish that would just be a thing that was possible. Yeah. And I know it is well, sometimes in some places. You can. There is. Yeah. And and so it's interesting. There's a couple options. There's also like a like a green burial. Yeah. We'll have to go into different burials at yeah. some point in one of the episodes. But there's also a really cool one. And I kind of think it's cool. You might think it's weird. But there are these places where you you can your body can be basically eaten by mushrooms like dissolved oh, yeah, and eaten and like compartment I, I don't i wouldn't say eaten eaten's not the right word but like composed and disintegrated by mushrooms that's cool i think that's definitely giving back to the land exactly awesome I'd yeah rather that happen then have formaldehyde pumped through my flesh. oh and i'm not become bones i'm not with at some that point anyway I think anyway. the whole yeah sorry we 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 go off track but we I have to morbid. say that I have to say that like the whole formaldehyde and like having the person lay out there and all done up and like looked at I'm sorry you know respect to anyone who wants that for me totally. that just doesn't float my boat yeah and it's I can't weird. I don't necessarily want I've seen enough of my extended family members who have passed look like that and it's yeah. it's burned in my brain and it's horrifying in a way yeah. for me personally personally yeah and 
yeah, I just, I'd rather, like, I know they're gone. I, I personally don't need the visual proof. I think some people do need that. Yeah, of course. Um, and yeah, so again, like, no, no judgment no. to whoever wants to do anything. I know I've always thought, like, I'll donate my body to science because yeah. I think that's pretty fascinating. That is. I, I and you help really, really hard for some people to swallow. So yeah, I mean, it's for each their own. Um, You know, I also come from like a Muslim background where there is none of that. You don't even wait for people to fly home. You need to be respectful of the body and you need to honor that. And so you immediately you're wrapped in a white white linen and you're buried shroud and you're buried immediately like there's no weight is it in a tomb or it's in the ground in the ground yeah yeah there's no but like there's no waiting there's no like oh we gotta wait a week because this person needs to fly over there's just you know this yeah kind of going back to my you know uh, uncle unfortunately there's no me flying back to india and there might be a memorial or something like that but no no waiting for the burial right wow that's so wild yeah well, let's talk about the ritual we did earlier. Yeah. Calling this a ritual uh, to honor the loss of a loved one. And we performed this at dusk. Yep. And I think that this could be helpful for other people. Amber's going to talk through the process. And if you have any questions about it, email us. Reach out to us. Yeah. We'll give you all that info after. Yeah, absolutely. So this was just such an important piece for me to do and, and doing it. I, I can I can tell you it was, it was definitely helpful for the process of grieving. So first I want to say I just did what felt right to me. And, you know, you can take from this what you please. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about witchcraft is there's really no right way to do anything. I think that it's whatever feels right to you in the moment. And you're the one that's in tune with your own power. So you know what signifies something that feels right to you. If, you know, you use a particular crystal and you're like, oh, but this this spell that I found online doesn't say to use this crystal. That doesn't matter. Nobody's business. But yeah, yours. exactly. And I think I do this all the time. Like I'll take a certain spell and I'll be like, oh, this I like this piece, but I this other piece is not what I'm feeling. Or this, like you said, I don't have this crystal or I don't have this herb. And actually this... For me, this herb feels more right. So then I just do that. So exactly. There's no right way to do it. It's what feels best for you. So first I gathered all my pieces and I set up my altar. And I use, I grab different objects that signify and that I place in each of the cardinal points. So for east, it's air, for south, it's fire, for west, it's water, for north, it's earth. And then I have my cauldron in the middle, Mm -hmm. kind of for spirit and the goddess. And that's kind of where the ritual kind of takes place, where it centers. And mind you, you, there are different objects and whatever feels right to you can signify the different cardinal points. But what I used specifically during my ritual and when I set up my altar was copal resin white copal resin for air and the reason why i chose white copal resin is because it has been used centuries for the passing of of people for passing of love so good it smells so familiar i i love that word it's such a good description it it smells familiar like anciently familiar it was a smell that the first waft of air that i got towards my area was like oh 
I do know what that smells yes. like. Yes. And I've never worked with it. So it was a really strange moment of, of oh my God, I've smelled this somewhere, but I, I couldn't tell you where. I, I love that. No, and I, I love the smell of co- a white copal resin. And it just it's just something that I, I, I like, I've used before. And it does, has in tradition been used for the passing of a loved one. So that's what felt right for me at the moment. And so that's what I chose to signify air fire i had a perba or what you would call a perba dagger it's a kind of knife that is associated with the practice of yadam indo-tibetan tradition of buddhism for west and water i had a chalice with water in it and for north for earth i actually had sand that i had gotten from when i went to the sahara desert oh wow yeah, so it was, it was a little little glass vial of sand from the Sahara Desert. I meant to ask you, I mean, it looks like it looks like garam masala or yeah. some kind of yeah. spice mix yeah. because it's so colorful. Yeah. It's wild. It, yeah, so it was, it's yeah something that actually is quite close to my heart, which felt I always use to associate earth because, yeah. Rad, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I placed these pieces, and then in the, in the center I had the cauldron, and I also had a white candle to signify my uncle and his spirit. And I also made sure to put just some material in the cauldron to have a fire going. And uh, we also, you brought uh, three blue sage. Let me just say something here, you know, with the sage situation. Right, right, right. I know that we tend to, you know, at least in our practice, we tend to stay away from white sage. Right. Yeah, it's it's really been devastating for Native communities who use it in medicinal practices. I know that specifically in in my head, like the Californian white sage, is has just been devastated by over commercialization. Over and then the wild fover, wild, wild I'm sorry, wild fovers. Exactly, those fovers are bad. The fires are really bad, and the droughts that cause these big fires have really taken out a huge population of this white sage and it is used explicitly should be explicitly used for medicinal practices and i was going to say earlier to you that there are other options that we know of from a more european background yeah european tradition of which of witchcraft yeah like like you brought up mugwort as an option there's cedar yeah, there are many other options besides white sage. So if you see that, try to stay away from it because it should be saved for the the indigenous populations that rely on it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was just an important piece to bring up. So we did have three blue sage leaves. Katie placed those in the cauldron, and that was for one to to signify or uh, the healing of my uncle, one to heal his family, and one to heal me. And that's just through the grieving process to allow some space for healing. Yeah, and that, I thought that was very beautiful. So thank you for bringing that. Sure. Um, so yeah, so had that, and then I also had a picture of me and my uncle and a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil. And so after placing these pieces on my altar, I then used a herb bundle and I specifically used mugwort to cleanse the ritual space of any sort of negative energy. 
And so after doing the cleansing, we sat down and then we grounded ourselves. And so for me, grounding is such an important practice, grounding before any sort of casting of the circle. After we took moments to ground and set our intentions, I then started with the casting of the circle. I start clockwise at east to cast the circle and I call upon the guardians of the watchtowers of each of the elements and each of the cardinal points and ask them to watch over the rites and protect the circle. And I always want to hail and welcome them in. As I go through the circle clockwise and go through each of the cardinal points and each of the elements after I pass earth and hail and welcome earth in, then I focus on center and ask for the element of spirit as well as the divine goddess to watch over the right and protect the circle. And again, this is something that's particular to me. So if that is not something you do and you only want to do the elements, then, you know, whatever is best for you. I sat back down. We both, again, focused on intention. And I sat and really wanted to be thoughtful of what my intentions were and why I was doing this and thinking of your loved one. So for me, it was my uncle. I lit the copal resin and lit the white candle for my uncle's spirit and then also started the fire in the cauldron. After doing that, I just kind of let the power kind of go through me and flow through me and I just wrote a letter so whatever I felt comfortable saying out loud, I did say out loud. And whatever I felt comfortable writing in this letter, I wrote. And I just wrote. And I was just writing. And it just was coming out. And it was like not even something that I was thinking of. And it was just just basically saying everything that I wanted to send to him. Things that I was sorry about not be telling him because life got too busy. And just wanting to let him know how much he meant to me. And just, yeah, just things that were very personal that I wanted to make sure that he knew. So I, I kind of let that go through me until I felt like I was done and I was ready to close off the letter. I, I did that. I stopped and ended the letter and took the letter and the picture. And I again, focused again on, on my uncle and kind of just thinking the elements and spirit and the goddess and asking them to take these words that I had invoked and passing them on to the departed, passing them on to my uncle. So I took these, the letter and the picture. And for me, it was a copy of a picture. I will say this. I didn't burn the original picture. (laughs) I made a copy of the picture. And again, whatever feels right to you, took the copy of the picture and the letter and put them in the cauldron and just watched over them as they burned and, you know, sent the sent the smoke and messages up into the ether. Yeah. yeah, Smoke and messages up to the ether and, and, and to him. And me and Katie were talking about this, but as this was happening, the wind was getting stronger and there was like these like things that were kind of falling into place. I'm not sitting here saying, that, you know, to someone else, that might be something different. But for me, I could feel, I could feel the presence. I can, I could feel the power. And I, I felt like I felt this relief. You know, I had this regret of like not being able to say the things I had wanted to say. And with, through this process and through the ceremony, I felt like, okay, no, I'm okay. The, it's, it's gone to him. He knows now. Right. It was pretty powerful. I mean, I have goosebumps saying it, but being there as kind of a support witch yeah. to give you a little extra power boost. <laughs> 
it was wild. As we started the ceremony, we kept hearing things drop onto the roof of your back porch. Yes. Like, you know, whatever it was falling from the tree, but we didn't hear it again after that. We didn't. And the wind completely died off after the ceremony. It was really pretty powerful. It was. Yeah, it was. It was definitely very powerful. And it it was just so beautiful and deep and personal. And and again, I thank you for sharing that that piece with me. Um, so after that happens and I take a moment to just thank, you know, thank the guardians and thank the goddess and the spirit and send my love and these words on to him, I then went to start the process of closing the circle. And so I, with that, I, I start in the center and then I, I move count- counterclockwise. And just so you guys know, like personally for me, I tend to use something, whether it be a wand or something pointy or something that like kind of helps to direct that energy of the circle casting or the circle closing. I personally use whatever I've used for fire. So whether it be or or for air, whether it be my wand or at that moment, it was my purba dagger. So I use that and I started to close the circle starting at earth and going counterclockwise and then just saying, you know, hail and farewell and thanking the elements and the spirits of the elements and and closing that circle off and thanking them for watching over me during the ceremony in this rite. So doing that, closing, closing that circle off. So opening that space up again and then making sure, again, we had a moment of grounding. Mm -hmm. So any sort of extra power or energy that needed to be released back into the earth where it belongs. Right. And and that was and that's the full ceremony. You know, if I you know, I apologize, it's still all fresh and new and I'm still processing. So if I missed something or you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. But that was yeah. a piece of our personal little situation today that yeah. I you know, we felt like we really wanted to share with you all. And as someone who was sitting in on a ritual that is very personal for someone else, I think there is a really beautiful way to be a supportive power source. I I'm big into visualizing. So I was visualizing a literal cord going through the earth and me just kind of pushing as much energy as I could without draining myself. And then that kind of electric buzz going back and forth and allowing Amber to draw from what she needed and leave what she didn't. You know, this was new to me. This is the first time I've done, I've done a few different rituals with a couple other people when it's been kind of like a more of a class setting. Mm -hmm. So this was my first like real personal ritual that I was doing with someone with a friend. It was beautiful in the sense that I did feel you there and I felt the power that you were giving to me. But there was no awkwardness or weirdness of someone is here that they shouldn't be. Like, like you have to bring me into it. Into or, it. Yeah. No, it was like I was doing this ritual and I was honoring my uncle and you were there as the support pillar. And it, it was it was beautiful. Yeah, it, I could I could feel that to be a part of. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a little piece of of our day today. And, and that's your offering. Yeah. Take what you will. Yeah. And, and again, as we said, like this is still very new and this is the beginning of our hopefully very long journey of this podcast. So we would love to hear from you any feedback, any ideas that you have for future episodes and topics that we can cover. We just have this endless list going and I want it to be longer and longer and longer. (laughs) Never ending. Yeah. And as far as uh, ways that you can get in contact with us, we have all of the social medias. We have Instagram at magic and mythos, and that's all spelled out. And then our Twitter is at underscore magic and mythos. 
Facebook at Magic and Mythos Podcast. You can uh, find us pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Um, you're listening right now, so keep going there. <laughs> and, um, and if you're into what you're hearing, give us a five star review. It's super helpful. Yeah, it's super Take helpful. Take that 30 seconds. You don't even have to write anything, just do the stars, whatever it takes. And mind you, you know, we're new, we're, we're, this is a new experience for us. So bear in mind if we muck up or anything, feel free to, like Katie said, give us your feedback. We yeah, want to hear, we want to know. We really do. And you can, you can email us directly at magicandmythospodcast at gmail.com or check out our website at magicandmythospodcast.com. Perfect. Right. I, I think that's it. That's so leave Mythos Podcast. You can uh, find us pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Um, you're listening right now, so keep going there. <laughs> and, um, and if you're into what you're hearing, Give us a five-star review. It's super helpful. Yeah, it's super Take helpful. Take that 30 seconds. You don't even have to write anything. Just do the stars, whatever it takes. And, um, and mind you, you know, we're new. We're, we're, this is a new experience for us. So bear in mind, if we muck up or anything, feel free to, like Katie said, give us your feedback. We yeah, want to hear. We want to know. We really do. And uh, you can... You can email us directly at magicandmythospodcast at gmail.com or check out our website at magicandmythospodcast.com. Perfect. Right. I, I think that's it. That's so it. leaving off as above, so below. <laughs>